This debate is not about health versus wealth. It's not an either-or. It's not um, mutually exclusive. What we're trying to argue is that they are intertwined and that wealth cannot be pursued as an end in itself, which I think we have seen to date. But rather, the question facing us is wealth for what purpose? And we hold that wealth without health is, is ultimately meaningless. Hello, and welcome to this special podcast to launch The Lancet's Trade and Health series, also covering the week of The Lancet, dated January the 24th to the 30th. You've just heard from Dr. Kelly Lee, one of the authors of The Lancet's Trade and Health series, which was launched at a press conference on Thursday, January the 21st. The Trade and Health series covers a wide range of issues, particularly relevant at this time of global economic crisis. Fundamentally, it shows how inextricably linked health is to trade, and how, up until now, the balance of power has definitely been with trade and not with health. Let's return to the press conference and hear from Dr. Richard Horton, The Lancet's editor. Welcome this morning to an on-the-record press briefing about a series of papers uh, that we're launching today on the relationship between trade and health. On Monday this week, in Geneva at the World Health Organization, Uh, Before the executive board meeting, a high-level consultation took place uh, with member states of WHO about the impact of the global financial crisis on health across the world. The message from that meeting was that we should prepare for the worst, that the impact of the financial crisis on health is going to be deep and severe, plunging millions of people into poverty. An absolutely critical dimension of this financial crisis is the evolution of the relationship between trade and health. The projections from the World Bank are that world trade will diminish something like 2.5% over the course of the next 12 months, adding to the burden of poverty in low and middle income countries. The series that we're going to spend the next 20 minutes or so talking about outlines the contours of the relationship between trade and health, the crisis that we are facing in that relationship, and identifies some of the actions that can uh, ameliorate that crisis and put us into a better position where health is taken more seriously. In all, there are six papers in the series with some linked comments as well. Paper six, the final paper in the series, is a serious call to action which crystallises the key messages emerging from the series. So if you read one paper, do read that one. But for the rest of this podcast, we're going to listen to the very lively and engaging debate that took place at the press conference between attending journalists and the two authors present at the launch, Dr. Kelly Lee and Professor Richard Smith from the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. You'll also hear again from The Lancet's editor, Dr. Richard Horton, and from Dr. Rona MacDonald of The Lancet, who coordinated the series. It's Michael Kahn with Reuters. I guess it's sort of like, you know, for, there's, there's a lot of stuff here. And, you know, you, you talk about the key messages, but isn't and this is partly what the Millennium Goals are about? So I guess, are you calling for something different here? Or are you raising, I mean, you know, I know you mentioned like the WHO sh- saying they should have more teeth, or I, I'm just wondering what, what sort of, sort of the, the main message that's, I mean, I, I think the sort of the link between health and wealth that people are, seems to me, is p- pretty well established. So what's kind of new here or the main message or what you're, you're trying to, you know, needs to be done? 
aside from what's already happening with the Millennium Goals and, and you know, there's obviously commitment from governments that way. Excellent question. Obviously, the, the Millennium Development Goals and what we're saying are very closely related. What we've tried to do is focus down on health. Obviously, health is, is a key part of the MDGs, but there are clear problems with the MDGs in terms of achieving those uh, the health goals within a, a larger development agenda. And what we've tried to do is obviously focus down on health, the kind of weaknesses that we see in terms of the health voice, in terms of specifically trade, but it is part of a larger agenda. What we've tried to do, I guess, is boil it down to some really specific issues that we're facing in terms of the global economy. So I suppose it's, you know, they are related, and I I agree with what you're saying. I think the key point of this series, for me, is that it's arguing that there are forces outside of the health sector that are undermining concerted efforts to improve the health and well-being of the global population. And that these forces, of which trade is one of the most important, are insufficiently recognised. And so what we are doing is putting trade ahead of the health and well-being of the most vulnerable peoples of the world. Now that is happening, has been happening, even without a global financial crisis. And what we're going to see with the next 12 months is an acceleration of poverty an increase in mortality, particularly amongst women and children who are going to be hit hardest. We're seeing a humanitarian crisis emerging, not just a financial crisis. And the imbalance in global institutions, the fact that WTO is so much more muscular than WHO, is going to stop any efforts to protect the health and well-being of these vulnerable peoples. So for me, that's the core message of the series. Absolutely right. There's so much information in this series and as outlined in the first five papers. But what paper six does is it builds on all that and it comes up with some key messages and some specific recommendations around each. So these three key messages are that we need to strengthen the evidence on the trade and health links, that we need to build trade and health engagement and capacity And what I think the most important one is asserting health goals and trade policy. In the last paper, it looks at all the main players in trade and health, for example, WHO, WTO, but also the World Bank and others, and it gives specific recommendations in each of these key areas. So we are trying to be quite specific rather than just unload all this information. Linda Geddes from New Scientist. I was just going to ask if you could give us any concrete examples of how you think the economic downturn is likely to impact health in developing countries and in developed countries as well. The high-level consultation that took place on Monday was, was very specific about this. We know from past economic crises that we're going to see reductions in health expenditure in low- and middle-income countries, reductions in foreign direct investment, likely reductions in overseas aid, reductions in remittances, and overall low growth. Those forces are going to plunge millions more people into poverty. They're going to force people to turn to the public sector more at a time when there's less money going into the public sector. And the consequences are going to be borne particularly for women and children. In past economic downturns, infant mortality has gone up, nutrition has worsened, maternal mortality has gone up. And so that is why the conclusion 
has to be that we're on the edge of this humanitarian crisis, not only a financial crisis. And if we think the situation is bad now, over the next 12 months for health, it's going to get a lot worse. We've barely begun to see the impact on health, as we've seen the impact already on markets. So there is an imperative for donors to keep their promises, which they've made in past years, and for countries to focus very much on protecting essential services for the most vulnerable people. And the contribution that this series makes to that is to show the massive imbalance in power between those institutions which are there to protect health, like WHO, and those institutions which, although they claim to have an interest more broadly than trade, actually undermine efforts to protect health. Sarah Bursley from The Guardian. And this is, a lot of this is very political, obviously, and you're going to have to get the political leaders on board to do anything about it, one would have thought. But there are institutions like the WTO where the fight has been going on and, and their campaigners have tried to, to get um, changes to the TRIPS agreement. I'm wondering whether it isn't still possible to do things. Do you think that, that it's a write-off, really, that you can't um, get reform through WTO and you have to somehow do things differently? No, I don't, I don't think it's a write-off. Uh, at all. It's a question of, of the balance, as Richard has said, and we say um, in the paper that WTO has certain uh, uh, abilities uh, with respect to uh, observation and intervention in WHO, for example, but those aren't reciprocated. Uh, we have imbalance in terms of um, uh, regulations or, or frameworks, so WTO is a very legalistic, hard-edged uh, enforceable uh, uh, framework and WHO is a very normative much more softer framework so in a sense where WHO may suggest what should be done WTO can say what will be done because they, they, they have got the power to do that uh, having said that there's been a lot of uh, um, dialogue between those two organisations and others uh, in health with WTO uh, but that has tended to be largely informal and in that case, of course, the health input there is still very clearly acknowledged by everybody to be kind of the, the, uh, the poor relation in the, in the deal. So I think it's not that WTO is written off, although events may write it off for us, um, but it's a question of, of the balance and our concern with the, the involvement with this series has been to try to uh, engage health profession more to seek um, to strengthen the health presence within existing structures like WTO and, some, and the associated financial system on the international level and also in the national level. And indeed, if you want to take it through, we could take it through even to things like, uh, like medical education. Why shouldn't issues around trips, trade issues, liberalisation, globalisation more generally be part of an MBBS undergraduate programme? So we could take it through all levels to make sure that we, we generate enthusiasm and uh, understanding and interest and ability for the health profession to get their voice uh, heard more clearly in existing structures. And then it's a separate issue as to whether we wish to fight for, for some different ones or not. So to answer your specific question about TRIPS, um, I mean, I'm uh, very aware of all the, the campaign against TRIPS, but I think even those campaigning against it have realised now that it is here to stay. And so what they're trying to do now that's more effective is to what are the areas that we can manoeuvre within TRIPS. And so things like the Intergovernmental Working Group and WHO has been set up to actually look within 
the TRIPS framework, how we can move things forward. So things like the patent pool, for example, has been um, advocated along with you know medical prizes, etc. So within the TRIPS framework, I think now um, NGOs are putting their efforts around that because it looks like it's not going to budge. But I think another really important point is that um, despite WTO and its really um, rigid rules, um, even when governments stick to the rules, they can be penalised. And in this series, we've got a very strong comment from uh, former Health Minister of Thailand, who, as you may remember, was responsible for commissioning the compulsory licences of for HIV drugs. And yet, um, Thailand was actually absolutely vilified by the international community for doing this, especially by the US. Yet within TRIPS flexibilities, it was in the right to do so, because HIV AIDS is an emergency within Thailand. Um, and yet when you consider that the first ever, because TRIPS flexibilities is very complex, the first ever compulsory licence was for making uh, bird flu vaccines in the West, but somehow that was acceptable, yet within Thailand for this it wasn't. So I think that just shows that even within the rigid rules of WTO, it's still all about the balance of power and who has it and who hasn't got it. Jeremy Lawrence, Independent. <laughs> um, we've heard about the global t- downturn, but the other message of this series seems to be the upturn in health tourism. I just wondered if you could, if I could ask uh, Richard Smith a bit more about that, particularly the impact in the UK. Um, you mentioned 100,000 patients going abroad, which sounds a, an astonishingly large number, given we have an NHS here. Yes, we do have an NHS here. Um, <clears throat> I mean, the issue with, with the health tourism really is is more about its potential, I think. I mean, you were saying that 100,000 sounds like a lot, but of course of the entire population of the UK, which is all covered by the NHS, it's a very it's tiny fraction. A, a substantial amount is cosmetic surgery, but it's not wholly cosmetic. The figure comes from Thailand, who obviously log who's coming <laughs> who's coming in or not and these aren't people who sort of go to Thailand on holiday and get run over in the street and have to go in for an operation these are people who deliberately go there for some sort of procedure so um, cataract removal uh, knee operations those kind of um, those kind of things although there's substantial advertising for you know organ replacement uh, for example in many in many countries and just a very quick search of the of the internet uh, googling some of this stuff it's cheaper it's uh, available if for example you're on a on a on a waiting list then the issue is about uh, your time and if you wish to have this procedure very quickly then your only option is to get out of that system and to go private and then your options of course are to go private in your domestic circumstance so for example here in the UK uh, versus go overseas for that then you get into issues of relative price and then you get into issues of, of the package as well. I mean, as I, it was called, it's called health tourism because there is also an element of tourism in there. And a lot of the um, companies which offer these procedures offer you a, a package. So in week one, you will have a procedure, etc. But they sell to you very much the institution you will have the procedure in. is a very hotel-like institution anyway. And then after that, of course, you remain on for a week to convalesce, but in a very conducive and, uh, and pleasurable environment. And that's very deliberately sold in that in that way. And a lot of the health tourists are, are are regional as well. So within Asia, people will move around between countries. To an extent, you could say that that, that could happen more in the UK with with uh, within Europe. Why can't people move, or maybe people will be moving more um, to other countries? 
The issue around its expansion is, as I said, this insurance portability, whether that's private or whether that's, for our circumstance, particularly the NHS, it's public insurance, whether that will cover you to go overseas. And the releasing of that will generate a much, much higher level uh, of trade. Then, of course, you move on to whether that is desirable or not. And actually, is it, is it much more uh, efficient for the NHS to be seeking to export some of its patients than seek to treat them domestically or not? is an interesting question. Olivia Roberts from the British Medical Association and I wanted to get the panel's view on some uh, UK-centred um, initiatives and, and going back to the comment about health professionals and I know that's something you, Richard, picked up on in your comments as well. We're working with the NHS on the concept of um, fair trade in the NHS, so using health trade to impact on the health in, in other countries. The NHS purchases you know, £4 billion worth annually um, surgical instruments manufactured in Pakistan, used in, in NHS organisations. What is their view on, on the feasibility of this kind of policy coherence, so linking different government departments in this way? Is this a model they would recommend being rolled out, or what, what are their views on that? What are the, what's the UK policy view on this? Because that, oh, our view I mean, what's, what's quite an interesting example with that is, um, I'm afraid I'm going to have to move straight into Thailand again, but they established uh, an intergovernmental uh, committee which deliberately brought together stakeholders through, through health and those involved in, in trade and finance together to explore particular areas which were uh, relevant to both and to seek to pursue, as in a sense Kelly said there, health and wealth together and to try to get to the bottom of where the synergies may lie between those various stakeholders around issues, as you said, about importation of, of products, for example. So I've picked pharmaceuticals, but lots of goods are imported and exported uh, in and out of the UK. Um, so that would be, in a sense, a, a quite obvious uh, institution to replicate across many countries, developing and developed, is to, as a first step to getting health further on the agenda but also to potentially <coughs> improve the trade situation as well, is to get those um, people talking together and making decisions um, together and creating some policy coherence within domestic policy, let alone on international policy. So can I just add to that, uh, Oliver, as I'm sure you know, um, the UK Global Health Strategy was launched last year, which is actually an amazing document and I think we should pay much more attention to it where it's a government-wide strategy and it's signed off by the Prime Minister and it sets out what the UK is going to do in global health um, but includes things like trade. There's a whole chapter in trade and it includes things like trips, for example. And um, it also has this amazing <coughs> set of ten principles, the first is which first do no harm. And it's quite strong and it gives some specific recommendations and it's going to be evaluated after five years. And one of the first recommendations in the trade one was to actually look at the, the fair trading in health instruments, for example, because it is quite shocking um, the way that the NHS uses instruments that are being made by people who are clearly exploited in other countries, especially Pakistan. And so I think the initiative that you're mentioning there and that the BMA is helping to leading on is, is a really good one. But... I see a lot of what um, is said here in the series is actually rather surprisingly reflected in this UK global health strategy and the thing is whether we can hold our government to account for all the things that it says because again it has been quite specific in these recommendations but it looks like um, the UK 
um, government is saying almost the same things as we're saying in our series. It's Judith from the Spanish news agency EFE. Um, I just wanted to clarify in the conclusions of your series, what exactly are you calling for now? I know that these are the key messages, but are, it's, are you asking governments to take more interest in health and put it before trade and profit? Or how are you going to put pressure for the change of the structures is so vital to achieve the goals that, that you want? Because, you know, if we go out here and write it, nobody, nobody reads it, it's going to stay the same way tomorrow. So what exactly do you want, would you like to see done? We'd like to see done everything that we recommend in paper six. <laughs> These are the key messages. Rona said that there were some more very specific ones there about the calls for particular organisations like WHO or WTO but also in terms of national governments, NGOs, and uh, even academics is, is listed down there in terms of, of roles that they could play, and indeed, really, responsibilities, which I guess we we're suggesting that they have um, to do this. I think the overall um, messages are that the health profession needs to become involved and engaged in this. Okay? National health is not national health anymore, it's international health whether you're on the developing country end or the developed country end, it's international health. And you need to be aware of the international context, and in particular the international context is very driven by trade and trade liberalisation, and we've got a, a particularly pressing uh, context at the moment of the financial crisis, but irrespective of that, the international context is, is the context in which uh, national health plays now, whether you like it or not. So there needs to be greater engagement by the health profession, from individual doctors and nurses through to the administrative structures in the NHS, people who do purchasing, for example, of these goods, the, the policy makers, all the way through to the minister and prime minister and beyond. And again, on the regional level, the EU, again, has a great uh, impact uh, and has certain policies uh, around uh, trips and, and the bilateral trade, for example. Um, so, so again, doing that. So I think the, my, my underlying message is and why it's in the Lancet. We haven't published this in the Economic Journal or anything. This is in the Lancet for a reason. It's for the health audience to become sensitised to this and hopefully more inspired by it as well. Kelly, would you like to add to that? And just ultimately, I think, um, beyond the health sector, that we need to um, convince trade people that health matters. I just want to reiterate what uh, Richard and myself said in the comment that opens the series, and that's, again, very much the engagement you know of medical professionals in this because you're right trade is such a political issue but when you look at the whole health as a foreign policy agenda and look as health as an outcome who are better advocates for health than, than the medical profession who are just really advocating for health and I think if we can all band together and drive it forward and, and Richard and I finished this comment by saying that we want to do more and we do and we're holding various discussions with other people on how we can move this forward but I think if the health professionals especially the medical profession get together on this it could be a very powerful advocate. Those final remarks from Dr Rona MacDonald coordinator of the Lancet series on trade and health. Many thanks for listening. See you next time.